I invite you to stand for the reading of today's gospel lesson. Our scripture today, our scripture today comes from Mark 1, 29-39. Listen for the word of the Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed, and Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you, he answered. Let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, Glenda and Renee, we know them as Glenay. Uh, lead our children's ministry with excellence, but there are other teachers and, and leaders for Summit Kids and Sunday School and uh, so many other things here with us, but aren't we so proud of our children's ministry and all of their leaders and everything that they are doing? Thank you all so very much, and parents, thank you for committing uh, to children's ministry here at First United Methodist Church. It is Children's Sunday. Uh, I've thought about a story, uh, maybe you've heard it a time or two. It came from a pre-K class. Uh, one of the teachers asked the children to bring show and tell. And they wanted to show and tell about their religion. So Benjamin, being Jewish, he brought the Star of David and, and shared that. And Mary Grace, uh, she's Catholic, so she brought a rosary and explained the rosary. And I think she brought a saint with her as well. Uh, Johnny was Baptist, so he, he brought some, some handouts and, and his Bible. And Katie was Episcopal, so she brought some of the, uh, the pyramids with her in the liturgical tradition. But Charlie, he was Methodist, so he brought a casserole and a hymnal, right? <laughs> Above our brand new children's building is the inscription, let the children come to me. Not some of the children. Let all the children come to me. Those are the words of Jesus. I want to say a word of thanks to all of you, near and far, for your generosity. You made a huge investment through the impact renovations, through the impact campaign, to children, to the future. And I want to offer a word of thanks to you for that. Uh, you also are making an ongoing commitment to children to ensure that they have a place of safety where they feel welcome, where they can learn and grow, and they can hear the voice of Jesus through the church say, come to me, and I will bring you healing and wholeness. We're on mission in that way. We, we've talked about it for several weeks. Uh, we're on mission, and your financial support, your generosity, helps us care for children and for youth and for adults. We, we're hosting the Respite for All Foundation here 
beginning today. We care for people on all ends of life spectrum, and I'm grateful for that. So grateful. I've also thought this week that intriguing things happen when we do encounter the holy, when we encounter the presence of, of Christ. Mark teaches us that in this fast-paced gospel in which we find ourselves in, in year B. Uh, we are called into new community, into a new way, into a new uh, belief. And that calling is one that silences demons and calms storms through the voice of Jesus. And then in today's text, uh, we see a different form of, of Jesus presenting himself publicly, and that's through touch, through his hands. And it's interesting, if you stay with the text, you can see the voice of Jesus calming that which disrupts us, and the hand of Jesus raising and healing us to new life, calming with our words, raising with our hands. It makes me think, how do we use our words and how are we using our hands? How do we use our words and our hands in our homes and in the church and in our community to calm and to raise, I hope? A colleague reminded me this, this morning, real early before the sun came up in my prayer and meditation time, that on February 4th, 1913, Rosa Parks was born. She once said, stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Today's mighty oak is yesterday's nut that held its ground. Don't you love that? I like to think of First United Methodist Church as a place where we're planting seeds. We're planting mighty oak trees in these children. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. I hope that we'll teach them to calm with their voices and to raise with their hands and not to elevate their voices or to tear down with their hands. I've thought about that with, with Jesus and how it's a lot like the creation story, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, and God speaks and things happen, and then he, in Genesis 2, God uses hands to create. Jesus continues that tradition. God has not stopped creating to bring back to life, to bring healing. For those who missed it, um, Peter was married. Did you know this? <laughs> it's an interesting fact about the one called the first pope. Uh, having called his first disciples from the seashore, he stepped into the public spotlight at Capernaum, and now he's making Jesus is making a pastoral care home visit to Peter's mother-in-law's house. I've been to this supposed house. It has a, a church atop it now, uh, but it only is about 50 yards from the synagogue at Capernaum. So it's not very far. Jesus goes from synagogue, from seashore to synagogue to a home quickly. And then he goes to a deserted place where he learns, as we've mentioned in the text, he hears his disciples saying, everyone is searching for you. We can't find you. I'll say, you cast out demons and heal a sick woman and then show up all of a sudden and you're vanished and gone. Inquiring minds want to know where Jesus went to care for himself, and why. There's a whole sermon about self-care in this text, the latter part of the text that was just read. Jesus took care of himself to step out of that which he knew would wait his return. But I want to focus today on, on this healing, 
We have an unnamed woman she, with no words attributed to her at all. She, she makes her cameo appearance, but boy, does she come barreling onto the scene. She has a fever. Now, in ancient times, before Tamiflu and Advil sinus and, and nose sprays, fever was a big deal. It could be a life or death situation. I, I don't run a fever that often, maybe once per decade. But when it gets to 99, I'm out, right? Like, give me soup and a bed and let me sweat it out. And then when that fever finally breaks, give me some clean sheets and let me sleep it off for the recovery. But almost comically in the reading today, Peter's poor mother-in-law's house, and a lot could be said about that. It's not, it's not Peter's wife who's mentioned, or even her, this, his father-in-law, it's the mother-in-law's house. She's strong. She's independent by some estimation. But her son-in-law checks on her, which is sweet, except he, he brings with him some new guy who's followed by this Galilean paparazzi everywhere he goes. And once she is healed, Mark tells us that not one, not two, not ten people show up. The entire town surrounds her home. I don't know about you, but when my fever breaks, can you imagine your whole zip code showing up and you can't get out of your own house? And much less, they're demanding, they're demanding what she received. Here she is waiting for wholeness, for health, to regain her strength after so many nutrients have been depleted and, and that takes time and, and it takes patience. You don't want to get up too quickly and, and become dizzy. You want to make sure you're hydrated. You don't want to relapse. But there's something about this woman's strength. There's something about the hand that healed her, too. And I began thinking about a common truth related to this text, and that is having to wait for anything, it doesn't sit well with many of us. She's waiting for her fever to break, the people couldn't wait to get to where she was, where Jesus was. And I started thinking that in some way, we, we all are, are feverish from time to time, waiting for something to break, or maybe waiting to catch a break, a new start, a new relationship, a new job, a second opinion on a diagnosis, an acceptance letter to grad school, waiting on ACT scores, waiting for that loose tooth to pull. Waiting, like being fever-ridden, it's, it's hard. We become restless, we become anxious, maybe a little depressed. So I'm thinking about the strength of Peter's mother-in-law. I'm thinking about the questions with which she might have wrestled. How long, O oh Lord? Is this it? Where's my son-in-law with those groceries, you know? And then Jesus touches her. He heals her, he raises her, he rescues her, he saves her. And what is her very first act? Not to shoo everyone away or fuss about being in, encroached upon or being in the spotlight, but the very first act after being touched by the hand of Jesus was to lend a hand to someone else. She rises and begins serving. 
In the Greek, that term dakonia is used, from which we get the word deacon. Deacon means to serve or to wait on someone else. The one who waited now waits on others. This scene is like an ordination, I suppose. He, Jesus touches her, and she becomes a, a deacon. And I, I wonder if you see this scene uh, like I do. When Jesus brings healing and wholeness, we, we can either wait and want and expect for more, give me, give me, give me, and we become consumers. Or we can receive and then freely give and become producers for the kingdom. And in some ways, I, I think a lot these days that in, in our giving, we are actually receiving. Hmm. We are called to be deacons and beacons because servant hands are lights in this dark world. These are not mandates. They're not conditional. They're not transactional. Jesus' words and his touch are invitational and they're transformational. The question is, what do you and I do with this invitation? We just said it. Christ invites to his table all who love him and who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in what? Say it with me. Seek to live in peace, in peace with one another. What do we do with that transformation that we received? We serve. Because the hand that we have received is the hand that we are to extend. The hand that has healed you and me is now the hand that we place in another who needs the same type of healing and wholeness and presence. Somehow, Peter's mother-in-law knew exactly what to do with her hands now healed. She uses them to serve immediately. She became an ordained agent of the same ingredients she just received, grace and mercy and hope. And truth. There's no obligation, just invitation. No required skill set, only a willing heart. Nothing to be gained, only love and peace to share. That's it. So I imagine that she arose and began just touching hands. Let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you about the power and presence of our Lord. And, and maybe since the whole town came, according to Mark, maybe... Maybe she started placing hands on the noggins of little boys and girls saying, let me tell you, let me tell you how valuable you are in the kingdom of God too. She could have transmitted a contagious fever, but she instead, she infects the whole town with grace and with truth, with hope. If we truly believe God desires wholeness, for all of creation, then we look at hands as the instruments to accomplish this task. It's a public, public, it's a perfect time to start thinking about our sermon series for Lent. What we plan to do is to take the prayer of St. Francis and to pair it with one of the teachings or parables of Jesus. You know the prayer of St. Francis? Lord, make me a what? Instrument of what? Peace. That's exactly right. Because what we've discovered here as a staff and a wider circle of conversations that we're having is that no matter what the storms, no matter the demons, no, how, no matter how feverish things become in the community, we will identify who we are. And where there is hatred, we will sow love. 
Yeah? Where there is injury, we will pardon. And where there is doubt and despair, we will hope and we will have faith. That's who we are. That's who we will be as a church. It begins, Lord, make me an instrument, an instrument of peace. You and I are instruments of healing and wholeness that God chooses to use and to play the harmonious chords of hope in this world. I, I've shared with many of you before, you know this poem um, by uh, Myra Brooks Welch, The Touch of the Master's Hand. Do you know this? About the um, just sort of decrepit, dusty, old violin that goes up for auction and no one wants to bid $3 on it until someone from the back says, I'll take it. And the older gentleman walks up to the front where the auctioneer is and blows it off and begins tuning it and takes the bow and, and begins playing it so beautifully. And everyone starts applauding and some start crying. And they say, what, what changed about this instrument? It was the touch of the master's hand. And at the end of the poem, it says, And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, going twice. He's going and almost gone, but the master comes. And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of the soul or the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. That's you and me. In the hands of Jesus, we're raised to new life. We are redeemed. That means redeemed. We are given value back. We feel like is lost or been taken from us. In the hands of Jesus, we do more than we ever thought possible of our abilities. We become instruments of peace. Swords of malice become plowshares. Spears of certitude become pruning hooks. There's power in the hands that God chooses to use. Do you know these hands through which we find healing? The hands that baptize us, the hands that, that break bread and share a cup, the hands offering the peace of Christ when it's passed, hands holding a cup of soup and a spoon to help the elderly eat. You know, those hands that provide the healing of Christ, the hands of, of one who brushes a mother's hair, who once brushed ours, hands holding a door and helping one with a walker, hands preparing food for children in our schools, or hands of a child coloring on Wednesday nights in our fellowship hall, this kaleidoscopic array of swirl colors to give to a parent as the latest masterpiece. Hands extended today as you receive the body and blood of Christ because we believe in the mystery of a meal and just maybe these reasons are why Jesus used his own hands to heal a fever-ridden woman or to mix his spit in the dirt and make mud and put it on the blind man's eyes or to pick up a child and place in the middle of adults like us to say, unless you become like one of these, you'll never understand the kingdom of God. You'll never get it. And maybe that's why Jesus' own hands carried a brutal cross 
and then were spread so widely to show that God is hands-on in our healing. And in response, all we're asked to do is go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So much of life happens around hands. I've, I've also shared the story that a football coach of ours used to tell. It was supposed to make us want to run through a wall, and I just left scratching my head. You know the story of the, the old sage in the neighborhood, and everyone was always trying to fool him, and two boys picked up the bird that was gimping along, and the bird was alive, and they said, we're going to fool this, we're going to fool this wise old man. We're going to go up there, and we're going to knock on his door, and, and we're going to hold the bird right here and say, old man, is this, is this bird alive or dead? If they said it's dead, if the man said it was dead, they'll show that it's alive, and he'd be wrong. If he said it's alive, they would just crush it. Is it alive or dead, sir? Do you remember what the man said? The fate of the bird is in your hands. The fate of life, grace and hope and mercy and truth, is in the hands of the body of Christ, you and me. It is in giving that we receive. What will we do with the grace we receive? In just a moment, you're going to come forward and you're going to place your hands in the shape of a cross and you will receive the real presence of Christ. A little bread to be dipped in the chalice and you will partake this holy sacrament and return, as always, down the side aisle and work your way out one of these doors back into life, back into the community. To do what? What will you do with the grace that you have received, with the healing that you know, with the power and presence of Christ that you find here today? We say it every, every week. In just a moment, these elements are going to process forward and, and we'll share this holy meal. This table does not belong to First United Methodist Church or the United Methodist Church. This table belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And you all are invited to come and experience the healing power and presence of Christ together and then to share it. And then to share it. Amen.